um, today what I'm going to share about, I'm going to continue to talk about worship, and we're talking about, you know, the battle for our soul and worship, and I really feel like today is, um, is going to help set us up for worship, and so um, we may not always get to do it like this, but definitely can today. Um, so we've been talking about worship, we've been talking about the presence of God, We've been talking about how we can all experience the presence of God, that there is a clear biblical um, precedence from the beginning to the end of the book of the Bible that God's tangible presence is real. It's real. It's not just a, a, a fantasy or a myth. He's not a distant God. He is near us, and we can feel him. And sadly, I think what's happened with so much of the church is that we have, we've dismissed that part of our experience with God. We have taken out all of the, the spooky parts of Christianity and just left them off to the side of the road. And, you know, we heard uh, Bill Johnson, that clip I, I shared few weeks ago and he made a really powerful point and um, if you remember he said modern Christianity camps around s sermons he said but Israel the people of God they camped around the presence and I thought man that is so profound and so appropriate to where we're at as a people as a western culture uh, a church who is so logical and so in our heads and 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 so not spiritually minded and and now what's happening is we've got a generation of people who who are have no interest or desire for the logical organized version of Christianity but they're going after spiritual things and so we have to be a part of that reformation of declaring and experiencing and living and walking out the presence of God in my life. And I talked about how there are some obstacles, though, that I want to I address. I want to begin to talk about the obstacles that can be in the way of experiencing the presence of God. And whether it's your personal worship time or if it's our Sunday morning um, service, there are several obstacles that can keep us from feeling and experiencing the presence of God. Now, before I get into that, I want to, again, I'm going to just give you a little picture into my heart as far as even one of the original reasons why I started this series. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about worship was because of something that I, I notice, and I'm sure as I talk about it, you'll notice it as well, that happens during our Sunday morning worship times. At least a couple of times a month, if not more, um, we will have people discerning that we are having a difficult time during worship. We are having a difficult time 
breaking through in worship. And when I say breaking through, I, I mean we're having a difficult time experiencing the, the power and the presence of God during the, the singing of songs to him. And, and some of the ways that I know we discern that, because I discern it too, some of the ways that we discern that and, and, and feel that struggle is it, it may feel like a heaviness in the room. It's, you know, the, the energy and the singing that we hear or see or don't hear or see is low. There's a real low engagement going on. You know, it, the room just, it kind of seems lifeless and drab. These are the kinds of things that we feel and we sense. Um, you know, they, maybe we're not feeling that, that heart emotional connection with God like we normally do. Maybe it's just a higher number of people who's on their phone, you know, looking at Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, or you're just... It's plain old texting while we're, we're trying to engage our hearts with the Lord. Whatever the distraction or the negative atmosphere is in the room, usually someone will come forth with a word of knowledge about the heaviness or that negative atmosphere. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will highlight a specific thing like... Um, Maybe he'll say, there's some who are struggling with depression here today. Uh, some are not feeling worthy. or Maybe there's some who are hung up on their past, or you feel like there's no hope, or you're not getting the breakthrough that you are looking for. Does that sound familiar? Right. Now, I want you to listen, and I think you are because we're, we're, it's early. I haven't put anyone to sleep yet. I haven't seen any heads yet. <laughs> but listen, listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Okay, this is very important. We are a church who are completely embracing all of the gifts of the Spirit. And we encourage everyone to use spiritual gifts as much as the Lord will allow us. And we spend a lot of time demonstrating and equipping how the gifts work. And Sunday morning is a time when a lot of people use their spiritual gifts. You've got a worship team, they're using their gifts. We've got a prayer team, they're using their gifts. People who have uh, gifts of discernment, words of knowledge, prophetic words. And I want to make sure that we are absolutely clear when I get ready to say what I'm going to say. That New Covenant is a safe place to learn about using spiritual gifts. And we will continue to allow people to practice using their gifts. As long as we see humility and teachability. But back to my original reason for why I wanted to bring this whole series about worship. In light of the fact that we will inevitably have a word of knowledge about all the negative stuff that's going on in the room. I wanted to preach and teach in a way that we can head some of that off at the pass. 
so to speak. In other words, I want to expose some of the common obstacles that are the enemies to our souls so that every one of us on an individual level can deal with our own heart before we even get here. So that we can start to prophesy and have words of knowledge and that, that are now seeing what God is doing in the room. You know, it's really easy to go to a mountain and find dirt. God has sent us to the mountain to find gold. And we can spend a whole bunch of our time in worship focused on what the enemy is doing. Or we can focus on what and how God wants to respond to the enemy when he comes in like a flood. We can either prophesy the problem or we can prophesy the solution. I want to see all of us mature from not only being highly sensitive to the, and, and wise to the working of the enemy, which I think is important, don't get me wrong, but I want us to grow up so that we become highly sensitive to what God is doing at the same time. And when it comes to any problem, including a negative or heavy atmosphere in worship, we tend to try to fix that problem based on the, whatever spiritual gift we lean towards. For instance, if you lean towards the apostolic gift, you'll probably want to fix every problem with more and better vision. You know, let's build something that's going to fix this problem. If you lean that way. That's the stick I want to use to beat every problem into submission. <laughs> One hammer fixes all screws, nails, anything. It's just If I lean towards the prophetic, then I want to fix every problem with a prophetic word. A word of knowledge. If I lean towards the teaching gift, then the stick I want to use is I need to teach every problem away. Let me just explain what's going on. Let me just talk about what's happening. If I lean towards the pastoral gift, then I want to fix every problem with care and concern and nurturing. Jesus loves you. It's going to be okay. Don't you worry. Your pretty little face about anything. Come here, I'll hold you. And all the feel-bads will go away. And if I lean towards the evangelistic gift, then I want to fix every problem with how God wants to redeem and rescue you from this situation. Now listen, each and every one of these solutions is glorious, it is amazing, it is powerful. But do we realize that every problem can't be fixed by a teaching or a prophetic word? 
every problem can't be fixed by a word of knowledge. Can't be from a hug. Every problem cannot be fixed with a hug. Now listen, every problem can be fixed by one or more of these revelations. But one revelation cannot fix every problem. Are you tracking with me? We have the solution. It's in Jesus. But it's not always Jesus the prophet. It's not always Jesus the apostle. It's not always Jesus the shepherd. Can't fix every single problem. And honestly, I think most of the heaviness, depression, negative atmosphere in the room is a result of us. Everybody say me. me. It is a result of us not walking in love and holiness. Most of the heavy, negative, depressing atmosphere came in with me. Came in with me not doing love this week. Not living set apart. I don't think it's a lack of prophetic pep talks. And again, a, a prophetic pep talk, when I say that, I mean God wants, you know, someone saying, God wants to touch you. God wants to encounter you. God wants you to feel his love. God wants you to know you're special. All those things are excellent, they're true, they're right, they're noble, they're praiseworthy. And listen, prophetic pep talks, we all need them. And they need to keep happening. But God has been saying, you're special for a very long time. Maybe, just maybe, we start believing and therefore behaving like we're special people. How about we start loving God and other people deeply? Maybe it's time we start living like God has made every rough place smooth, every crooked place straight, every high place low, and every depressed place high. Listen, we have been camped out on our prophetic potential for so long. For so long that I think we forget that real faith requires action. You know, Jesus said the world will know us by our love. Love is an action. Not just an emotion. And sometimes the presence of God is missing in our lives and in our worship times because we've been missing in action in our Christianity. I mean, what do we think is going to happen when we've been not living the Bible all week? What's going to happen? We violate loving God 
We violate loving each other all week long, and our souls get wrecked from sin, from not living and walking in love with others. That wrecks your soul. I believe that is the bigger reason for not experiencing the tangible presence of God in our lives. And that's why I want to look at these obstacles, these enemies of our soul that are battling to keep us from experiencing the presence of God. Now, as a form of practical application for the whole prophetic stuff we do on Sundays, how I see is we could mature in our prophetic gift and in our words of knowledge. Consider this. Instead of just saying, you know, there's someone here who's struggling with heaviness. How about we start to get out of the boat a little bit, put our foot on some water and say something like, I feel like God is highlighting someone named Tom. If you're here today, Tom, please come forward. I have an encouraging word for you. And then when Tom comes forward, you can share that I feel like God was highlighting that you're struggling with heaviness. But the Lord wants to say this, and I see the Lord doing this in your life right now. I see the Lord moving on your behalf in this way and that way. I mean, let's, let's like start to really be prophetic here. Let's start calling out some names without exposing the problem. I feel like someone's here, Tom, and he's, you're dealing with unforgiveness, and you're ready to leave your wife, and the Lord wants to encourage you. Come on down. We've got something great for you to sit here. You will be tackled by an usher and escorted out the front door with your wonderful prophetic insight. I'm kidding. It's a joke. But listen, let's, can we move beyond level one prophetic words and words of knowledge about all the negative stuff that's in the room and really start encouraging people calling them out by name and saying, God has something amazing to say to you this morning. You know, or how about instead of saying, you know, we're, we're sensing a real resistance this morning. How about we take that leading from the Holy Spirit and ask God, what do we do about it before we say anything? Sure, it's heavy. Okay, duh. What do you want to do about this, Jesus? Let's talk about the solution. And then when the answer comes, we can prophesy the solution as we share the problem. Okay, well, the Lord is showing me there's some heaviness, but here's what God's getting ready to do. He says, do this, say this, believe that, lift you, whatever, whatever that is. You need to start prophesying the solution. And listen, again, we do prophesy the solution a lot. 
okay? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. We do have some very amazing times in worship, and I am not going to detract from that. But the enemy of great is good. If we are satisfied with good, then the next level of glory that we've been seeking from God will be just a fantasy. And I believe that if we will overcome the obstacles to to worship in our personal lives, then we won't have to come in on Sunday morning defeated and on life support. Hoping that this church service will provide you with all the healing and nourishment you could have for a whole week. I mean, Sunday mornings are definitely for encouraging and refreshing. But they are not meant to be a substitute for you living your Bible. So, sorry for the long introduction. I needed to say that. Now on to the message. We will do 15 minutes of worship at the end and then we'll be done. It's okay. So, so there are obstacles that get in the way of us experiencing the presence of God. And the first enemy and obstacle of worship that I want to talk about, everybody take a breath is pride. So, according to the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, pride is the undue confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, possessions, or position. Pride is easier to recognize than to define. And it's easier to recognize in others than in oneself. Now, there are a lot of biblical words that describe this concept. And each one has a specific emphasis. You know, some of the synonyms for pride include things like arrogance, presumption, conceit, self satisfaction, boasting, and high-mindedness. Pride, if you didn't know, is the exact opposite of humility, which is the proper attitude that we should have when it comes to our relationship with God and with others. In fact, Pride is rebellion against God because it attributes to me the honor and glory that was due to him. And it's due to him alone. Proud persons do not think that it's necessary to ask forgiveness because they can't admit they're wrong. So what happens is this attitude 
towards God starts to leak out in our attitude towards others. And it, many times it causes people to have a very low opinion about the ability or value of other people. Yeah, it hurts. I'm dying. I was dying when I wrote it, and I'm dying now. And I'll be dying this week. So when we allow ourselves to hold a very low opinion of others, then we justify our behavior of treating them with contempt or cruelty. There are a lot of biblical scholars that consider pride to be the root and the very essence of sin. There are a lot who consider pride to be sin in its final form. In either case, it is a grievous sin. Now, as I said before, pride has a lot of different faces. Such one like boasting. Boasting is a form of pride that can be committed only in the presence of other people. Hey, did you see what I said the other day? Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> did you like my post? Did you hear what I did the other day? Just saying. Boasting has to have another ear, set of ears. Um, then we've got words like haughtiness and arrogance. And when we have haughtiness or arrogance, they give us permission to esteem ourselves higher than everyone else. This is mostly an attitude that we have. It's not a private one because usually the rest of us can tell. But it's mostly an attitude of the heart. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 says this. It says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, that phrase, puffed up with conceit, literally can mean wrapped in smoke. And so, what it's trying to emphasize is the dilemma of the person who has been blinded by their personal pride. It's like a smoke screen. They can't see reality, who they are. They can't see that mirror into the mirror of the word and get an accurate picture of where they're at as a person. That's pride. Blinds us. So how is it affecting our worship? Well, pride is the mother of all sins responsible for the single greatest worship rebellion ever recorded in known history of humankind in the universe. Pride literally destroyed the great and supreme worship leader of heaven. And we know his name to be Lucifer. So let's read about him. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 12. 
says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were the, on the holy mountain of God, and you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Man, this is some wild stuff that's in heaven. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. So what was this iniquity that was found in this high cherub angel? Isaiah 14 continues to talk about Lucifer. Verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How are you cut how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So we have Satan, Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub that covers the throne of God. Now, we can determine, as many, many, many scholars do, that Lucifer was a very high-ranking angel, probably an archangel who was responsible for leading worship in heaven. Verse 13, back in Ezekiel 28, says this. It said this. If you remember, it says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. What this is is a picture of Lucifer who literally had musical instruments formed within his very being and his very body. He literally was an instrument. And this was a picture of Lucifer having these instruments. And then in verse 13, it says this. It says, every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. So imagine for a moment. Lucifer is covered in these brilliant stones of great value. 
And he has the awesome privilege of covering the throne of God with worship and praise. Imagine what it would look like when the light and the glory of God would hit Lucifer. Imagine the, the glorious colors, the, the glorious sounds that would literally erupt out of his very being as the worship leader of heaven. As God's glory rushed through every part of who he was. Now, imagine how something like that could go to your head. Well, that is exactly what happened. He became enamored with his own awesomeness. And he decided, <clears throat> instead of being the light show and the orchestra, he decided, he goes, I want to be the one who gets the praise. He wanted the worship instead of leading it. <clears throat> it says that pride entered his heart. And he was forever banished from the presence of God. Pride has this really strange way of pulling us out of the tangible presence of God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> and this is the story of how the divine being in the garden tempted Adam and Eve. When the serpent tempted the couple, we see him employing the same temptation that got him banished from the presence of God. Verse 1. Chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of these trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So this divine being comes to Adam and Eve, and he uses pride to destroy their fellowship with God. See, what happens here, if, you're not, if, you, if you look at it, Satan came and he instilled this pride in their heart, this, this pride of craving of being like God, but not on God's terms. Doesn't that sound good? You want to be like God? Go ahead. It's simple. It's a short path. It's just right there to that tree. Oh, I want to be great. I want to be awesome. I want to be somebody. Hmm. 
Sounds like a good, good thing to me. And so pride literally drove the first couple to make themselves into little gods. And it destroys their intimacy with Yahweh. And you know, the sin of pride is it's still on full display. Romans 1, chapter 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We, humankind, and our pride, we are making choices every day that make us little gods in our own lives. And that pride is wrecking our intimacy with God. It is wrecking our intimacy with each other. Pride takes the worship that belongs to God and it places it on me. Let's think of it like this in Romans 14, verse 11. It says, for it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, in the past when I've read this, this scripture, um, I've, always, I've always pictured that at the end of everything, Satan and all the fallen angels and all the demons and, and all the people who rejected the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I, I, I imagined them being paraded in in front of all of heaven and all of us who are the willing worshipers of God. I always had this picture of that, that procession and, and that the evil ones would be forced to kneel before Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. But here's the thing, when I pictured that, that I, when I pictured all of these, these you know, rebels of heaven kneeling, I always pictured them kneeling like some kind of proud and arrogant kind of kneeling. You know? Kind of like what we're seeing with all the pro- Snowflakes on the football teams where they, you know. That's the kind of kneeling I, 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 I always thought, you know, Satan, you know, I'm obstinate, I'm arrogant, I'm, yeah, I'm on one knee, but, oh, yeah, whatever. That was, that was the picture I always had. and You know, down on one knee and kind of this prideful opposition. That's how I used to see it. Now, 
This passage, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, is a, is a quote from Isaiah 45, 23. And, you know, it's, again, this proud, you know, opposition to the Messiah. But, but when I started looking closer at that scripture, it says that it says every knee will bow. And then I thought, okay, every knee will bow. If every knee bows, well, how many knees is every knee? Well, it's all the knees. And so how many knees do I have? I have two. So suddenly now I've got this new picture of what kneeling looks like. See, it's not the proud one knee bowing. It's the two knee bowing that is literally an act of worship. It's not the arrogant stuff. It's the humble, I've been broken, you win. You get it all. Because every knee bows. It's the two knee bowing that is literally an act of worship. You know, one of the seven Hebrew words for praise is the word barak. And barak literally means to kneel or to bow down. At the wrap up of all things, all of the proud and evil ones who rejected Jesus will finally bow as an act of worship, declaring him the great and almighty God. This great and final bowing of every knee will be the final statement of that, that the, that the enemies of God will make Christ. You are Lord of all. So how is this intersecting with us? We who accept the sacrifice of Jesus on this side of eternity, we've bowed our knee to Jesus. It's settled. We're saved, right? We're as saved as we possibly can be saved. However, when it comes to Jesus as Lord in my life, I've still got some knee bowing to do. You know, we love God saving us. But we really struggle with God telling us how to live and how to think. And that struggle of making Jesus Lord of our lives has everything to do with pride. Every area of my life where I refuse to obey God's leadership and lordship is an area of pride. And every area of my life 
that I have pride is an area that I refuse to bow my knees in worship of him. Every aspect of my life that I refuse to bow my knee in worship to God will be a facet of my life that is devoid of the presence of God. Pride is always going to wreck our worship. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about, you know, just listening to Bethel or Jesus culture in your iPod or phone or whatever. I'm talking about worship that looks like the daily obedience to God Almighty. Pride is the exaltation of my opinion as being authoritative. My opinion, what I think, it's the authority in my life. Every part of my life that I do not obey the Lord is a place that I have erected an idol called me. And when we refuse to bow in worship to the Lordship of Christ, we find ourselves in the same mindset as Lucifer. I will set my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. He can't be my boss. I'm my boss. We make ourselves little gods when we don't bow our knees and pride is the fuel that gives us permission to disobey God to disobey God when it comes to my calling prophetic destiny in my life it probably gives me permission to disobey God when it comes to my money what I do with my time what I do with my health what I do with my marriage What I do with my friends, pride gives me permission to disobey God. Are we bowing our knees in obedience when it comes to loving others? Are we bowing our knees to the Lord when it comes to walking in forgiveness? Gossip. You know, think about all the groups in America who wear pride as a badge. You know, whether it's gay pride, white pride, black pride, Latino pride, they all use pride as an excuse to exalt themselves and their agenda over everyone else. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. 
I believe this is a perfect picture of the times we're living in. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we have to rid ourselves of these sins. Because pride is wrecking our worship. Pride is wrecking our relationships. Pride is wrecking our witness to a dying world. And if all of this that I've shared is not enough to convince us about pride keeping us out of the presence of God, let's look at James 4. Verse 4. You adulterous people. That feels good. (laughs) Thanks, James. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself or herself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Ouch. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That hurts again. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Well, that wasn't very pastoral at all, now was it? (laughs) Huh, that's there in the Bible. New Testament stuff. So what can we learn from that? Well, the big big one that we all kind of know and hear a lot and memorize is God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I said that the word presence in the Bible means face. Remember that? The presence of God is the face of God. And then I shared that the face of God equals the grace of God. Remember that? So when the Bible would say that that God turned his face towards Israel, we know it means that the grace of God was turned towards Israel. It meant that the presence of God had been turned to Israel. So when James is quoting Proverbs 3.34, which is where that came from, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34. He's saying the proud don't experience the grace of God, which is the face of God, which is the presence of God. The humble, they get the face, the grace, and the presence of God. In whatever aspect of life, they choose to bow down to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So what's the big solution to pride? Everybody say it. Humility, humbleness. How do we get more presence of God in our lives? Humility. How do we get more of God's presence on our Sunday morning worship times? Humility. 
How do we get more grace in the most difficult parts of your life? Humility. Humility is the antidote to the cancer of pride. So how do we do humility? You know, if being humble is actually going to eradicate pride, I believe it has to be easy to understand. I mean, I, I just, I think we can't, we, we you know, because if it's not easy for, to, for us to understand and, and do, then, then I think we're just going to get prideful about figuring out how to be humble. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so humble, I figured it out. <laughs> Winner, you got to figure out how to be humble. I figured it out. It's a hidden thing. It's dark. It's much prayer and fasting required. We can't do that. We cannot make humility difficult. We can't make it hard. We can't make it complicated. I believe the Bible paints a very, very good picture of humility. And we've been talking about it. I think it's as simple as this. I think it is. It looks like a man or woman bowing their knees with their face to the ground in absolute surrender to the will of God in every area of their life. That's it. Get on your face and surrender to God's will. Humble yourself and say, I will do that. Now, if that's too simple for all of us logical step-by-steppers, I think James actually puts together a little nice little order of things for us. How to get rid of pride and experience more of the presence of God. So, step one, I think. And I do think there is an order to what we can do. I think we have to do this first. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Stop. We must bow our knees and submit to the Lordship of God. If we're struggling in finances, we must, we must bow to God and do what he says to do. If, if we struggle in our marriage or friendships at school, we've got to bow to God and do what he says to do. Submitting to God is bowing down in worship to God and making him Lord in that area of our lives. And in this bowing, it's symbolic and it's literal, okay? It's symbolic because, you know, uh, obeying God isn't just kneeling in our bedroom all day and suddenly the bills get paid. Tom said, get down on my knees and all my bills will be paid. That's great. This is easy. This is easier than I thought. (laughs) No, it's symbolic. Bowing, when it comes to my money, means I get up and I work a real job and I pay bills and I give God what he wants and I obey him. That's how I bowed symbolically to his lordship. I said, yes, I'm writing the checks, working the job doing my best, giving my employer 100%. That's what bowing in the symbolic sense looks like. It's humbling ourselves, bowing our knees in our behavior. But, you know, literally bowing down in your room in prayer and worship, you know, will really crucify your flesh. And it will help us get in that posture of humility. And so I think we should do both. 
I should be bowing symbolically. I should be bowing literally. My submitting of God. So step two. James 4, 7 again. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now listen, I promise that when you decide to make Jesus Lord of your money, Lord of your time, what comes out of your mouth or whatever you put on face puke, you know, when you decide, Jesus, you get to choose, you get to decide what comes out of my mouth, what I post. I promise that when you decide to humble yourself in loving others well, the devil is going to resist. He will whisper in my ear and, you know, say stuff like, this tithing thing doesn't work. It's Old Testament. You know, he'll whisper in my ear, if you give that per, you know, if you, if you forgive that person, you know, they're just going to walk all over you. They're going to get away with it. The devil will fill our heads with the most subtle thoughts to pull on my pride. He did it to Eve. He's doing it to us. I promise you, some, some demon, some devil is going to be there offering you a hand to help you up off the floor where you were once bowing in worship. Come on. This is undignified. You stand. Get up. Resist the devil and stay low. Once you determine to bow down, stay low. Humble yourself in the presence of God. And, and when you do, the presence of God will begin to manifest. And guess what happens to the enemy? Guess what he doesn't like? Presence of God. Resist him. Stay low. And off he goes. Resist the devil through humility and he will flee from you. Amen. Step three, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Stop. So, when we choose the path of humility, we get the grace of God, we get the face of God, we get the presence of God. When we put away our pride, and we bow our hearts, and we draw near to God, God stops resisting us and restores his favor and his grace. The tangible presence of God floods our entire being. He gives grace to the humble. That's the favor of God. And if we continue with verse 8, we see then the deep transformation that begins to happen. Verse 8, it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this, this thing of cleansing your hands, it speaks of putting to death the evil deeds we used to do. See, when we grow closer to God, the evil deeds we used to do, they come to light and they start to become altogether ugly. We see that our unholy actions and behaviors are not pleasing to the Lord. And we want to get rid of it. Got to wash, get this filth off of me. 
Purify your heart speaks of putting to death the evil thoughts and motives that we once had. We can't be double-minded. We can't remain in that place. Trying to love God and worldly stuff. That's called double-mindedness. I love God and I love what I see out here. I love all this. I love booty shorts and I love, you know... Whatever the vice is. I just wanted to wake you up. That's all I need to do. <laughs> if we allow the world to entice us away from God, then we have become double-minded. And, you know, James, back up in, in chapter 1, verse 8, he, he uses that word there, and, and there... It, he, it, he, the context is, is it refers to someone who can't decide if God is reliable. That's double-mindedness. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if doing it your way is going to work for me. Here, it's referring to someone who is trying to maintain a friendship with both God and a worldly lifestyle. So purify, you know, purity of the heart, then it's, it's implying single-mindedness. It's implying that we're to love God above all other things. And when we go low in humility with God, grace shows up and transformation on the deepest levels of our life starts to happen. Worship team, if you guys would come up. Somebody wants to let flip. We're about to do worship. Pride is going to stifle the presence of God in our lives. Pride can have a negative influence on our worship times as a church, on our worship times individuals but humility with God and each other it equals grace which equals the face of God which equals the presence of God in fact if you guys would just repeat this after me say humility, humility. equals God's grace equals God's face equals God's presence in my life one more time humility Equals God's grace, equals God's face, equals God's presence in my life. One more, just for fun, humility. Equals God's grace, equals God's face, equals God's presence in my life. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 12, he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God has always been in the business of rewarding believing hearts, believing attitudes, and believing behavior. Do you believe that? It's who he's been. 
He's always promised his people, hey, if you'll just do this, you'll get that. Guaranteed. Do this, you get that. Do this, you get that. Humility with God and people, it brings promotion and favor to your life. Now, before we finish, I want to expose a misconception about humility. True humility. Because, you know, a lot of people think that humility is, is having a low estimation of who we are. Oh, I'm not that great. I'm, hum- I'm just humble. I don't do anything or have anything or know anyone. I'm just humble. Well, if Jesus lives in us, then to agree with anything less than who he is would be a complete lie. In fact, I, I love how C.S. Lewis defines humility. He says this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Meaning less often. Like not all the time. Like not all the time. So we're going to do something different with the offering this morning. We've got the, the, the baskets, you know, here on the step. And, and when we start worship, I would, I would like to ask you all to bring your tithe and your offering down front as an act of worship. And, and maybe even let it be a symbolic act of making a commitment to walk in humility with God and with people. You know, what better way to bow our hearts in humility than by obeying Him in the area of our money? But I want to I end by sharing two questions that the Holy Spirit had asked me that really brought me some conviction. And here it is. He asked me this. The first question was, when was the last time you actually got down on your knees when you prayed to God? And then the second question he asked me was this. He said, when was the last time you kneeled down and bowed your whole body in worship to God? I had to say it's been a very long time. So this morning, I'm passing those questions on to you. When was the last time you actually got down on your knees and prayed to God? You sat in your bedroom and you got down, humbled your heart, poured out your heart. When was the last time you were in your room or anywhere and and you bowed your whole body and worshiped to the our almighty God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, as we begin worship this morning, I'm going to ask you to just take a moment 
like I did and repent. Repent for your pride and pray for humility to engulf every aspect of your life. And then once you feel like you've done your business with God, then go ahead, bring your tithe and your offering down here to the front. And we're just going to worship the Lord this morning. So just close your eyes. Maybe if you want to come to the altar, you can. If you want to kneel at your seat, whatever. I just, I'm asking you to deal with pride and beg God for humility as we enter into some worship here. Father, I just, I, I, I ask God right now that this word would do a, a deep work in our hearts. That God, we would choose the path of humility, choose the path of walking and making you Lord, the, choose the path of bowing our hearts. I pray, God, today that we would put aside our pride and we would love you, God, and love each other deeply. I ask you to come now, God, and meet us in this place. So we bow our heads, we bow our hearts, we bow our knees, God. Meet us here in Jesus' name.